0: Welcome to Sound & Vision,
1: conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the
0: host of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred.
1: Ridley Howard was born in 1973 in Atlanta, Georgia. He received his BA and BFA from the University of Georgia, Athens, his MFA from the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. He also went to the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture in Maine. He currently shows with Marinaro Gallery in New York, Andrein Shipchenko Gallery in Stockholm, and Frederick Snitzer Gallery in Miami. His paintings were most recently on view in his current solo exhibition at Marinaro Gallery, in New York, as well as the Atlanta Biennial at the Contemporary and the group show Intimisms at James Cohen Gallery in New York. He's also the co-founder of Gallery 106 Green in Brooklyn. He's received awards from the Paula Krasner Foundation, the Joan Mitchell Foundation, as well as the New York Foundation of the Arts. Ridley came over to my apartment while visiting from Atlanta, and we spoke about differences between making art in school and years later as a practicing artist, working and living in New York versus other cities, our shared love of soccer, starting a gallery, the impact of a good teacher and much more. Here's our conversation.
0: No, I know Holly and I talked about, we were, we both taught off and on and, um, there are moments when you're like talking to grad students about their work and, uh, you realize that the criticism you're giving them is the criticism that you, you're sort of like thinking about your work. Yeah. Um, in a kind of detached subconscious way. But I, I think you like challenge students in ways that you want to be challenged. Right. Um, so it's not, it's just nice. Um, yeah. To kind of remove yourself from the studio grind. Yeah. And, kind and of how, think about art. From, yeah.
1: Yeah. How can you go in people's studios every day and just say, you need to change it up or think right. about this differently. Right. Don't get caught in the same old, same old. Right. And then you go back to your studio and you're like, wait a, like, minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. I was talking <laughs> to myself in there. Practice. Yeah. whatever I play should. a little more. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it keeps you it honest collages. in yeah. a way. Exactly. You and don't. reading, you know, it's funny, I, I've talked about this a couple of times, like where it's, it's hard to read sometimes when you're a visual person because if you're not completely enthralled by audiobooks, books, mm-hmm. when you have the creative time, you're kind of painting. Mm-hmm. You know? And for me, when I'm not painting, I'm usually you know, doing something dad-related. Right, or like <laughs> vegging out. Exactly, yeah. or yeah. watching sports, right. which is a big
0: thing. A sort of like, yeah, I have the same problem. I used to read more, and now, um, Holly's more of a reader, uh, disciplined reader. But I do, I when I, I'm i good at reading for something, so yeah. like you said, like if you're teaching or like preparing for a lecture or a seminar or something, I, I'm especially about art. Yeah. You know, if you're spending all day in the studio, the last thing you want to read about is, um, you know, the whatever, sort of a theoretical take on paintings place in the world. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But, you know, I'd rather read, like, The New Yorker or watch some stupid television. Yeah,
1: that's what got me into podcasts, too, because Mm -hmm. it's a lot of the comedy ones. It just takes your mind off of everything else, but there's Mm -hmm. still a sort of relationship with the world that they're trying to navigate Mm -hmm. using humor, which I find, you know, entertaining. Do you (laughs) have any
0: favorites that you like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I listen to um, Pete Holmes' podcast and uh, and Mark Maron. And, yeah, you know, I used
0: to listen to Mark Maron a lot.
1: Yeah, and there's, I mean, he, he adds a lot of music in his, which I like. Mm-hmm. There's a relationship to music, which I like, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I, I listen to, you know, The Nerdist and mm-hmm. like Chris Hardwick and all those guys. Yeah, so. I,
0: need some, I need to get some tips from you.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, I'll listen to all sorts of, you know, podcast stuff. But mm-hmm. I felt like there wasn't a ton of art ones. So that was sort of there's an opening the the impetus yeah, to do this to yeah and the and the the podcasts that I like are conversational you know yeah. not the sort of produced show ones as much like mm-hmm. I like to hear just two people talking of course and when do you ever get to hear an artist just talk about right. things it's usually you know the the stuffy lecture or right you know sure the canned like yeah yeah it's least. like artists lives start after grad school. <laughs> Right. Or, or when you graduate from college or whatever, right. it's like, well, here's the work I started when I got out of school. It's like, well, what happened when you grew up? You know, what was right. high school art like? Like that, <laughs> that matters, matters, right? Because like the more and more I talk about it, the more I realize that when you're young, like a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff really, oh, informs I think forms your life. I think in a
0: way, like the work I'm making now is just. Um a more developed version of stuff I was making when I was in ninth grade. Right. <laughs> after after all of that schooling, I just returned to uh, yeah, like bad surrealism or whatever. But it feels um, good though, doesn't it? I mean, it does, I feel like yeah, you're trying to capture that.
1: Yeah. To get back to what first got you into things. Yeah, and you have to sort of like earn the right to
0: like give yourself permission to make that work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch. My my high school work wasn't amazing or anything. It's just. Um, But you do have certain like I think you have impulses, and reasons you want to make things at that age
1: that don't
0: you never really shake that.
1: Yeah. Um, And sensibilities. Yeah, no doubt. Like there's, I remember when I was in school, um, one of my teachers was asking me about color. He's like, well, why is your color look? He's Mm -hmm. like, you have a very specific palette, and he's like, it's kind of these muted colors, and why? Why is that, you know? And at that point I was using like craft paint that my mom used to use around the house or that mm-hmm. was always around from, you know, the craft store. So I felt like conceptually that was like a link. I was like, well, it's stuff I grew up around or whatever. But mm-hmm. I feel like there is an intuitive sense of color that people have. Mm-hmm. And you can push that. But there is a fallback to the way you mix color, the way you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just the logic of. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I mean, you, it's probably like music, you know, there's just a way, there's a kind of like mathematical structure to color mixing in the same way that like playing the guitar. Has. Yeah. So, and so I do, I mean, I think I have, you know, I have a system and systems and I try to like, push them and change them. But, um, you know, the way that I think about color structure is very different than what you do or the way Holly does or yeah. any, whatever, any painter.
1: Yeah, but when you see artists who grow up in Brazil, right. there tends to be, not always, but there tends to be kind of a more vibrant palette, or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's just what you're around, you know sure. what I mean? And I grew up in Pittsburgh, which was gray. <laughs> yeah. It was a gray town, you know? And I think that, to some extent, maybe informs, it, yeah. uh, I don't know, a familiarity with certain colors. Uh-huh. I know color's so difficult to, to kind of wrap your head around, you know? It's kind of like, it why is. do you choose certain notes on the guitar? Right. <laughs> it's like, well just feels right yeah and there's certain things you listen to that maybe you feel comfortable with and i think it's like as a as a painter
0: um you know when you're in school there's a kind of you have to sort of understand the reason for everything so you like you know i'd have some sort of conceptual packaging for why i like to use the color blue or Mm -hmm. whatever talk about rebecca solnit or i don't know um longing and um but I think at some point you just get the, you like earn the right to say, well, I just want to look at this. Yeah. I just have the urge to yep. do it. And that's why I did it.
1: Yeah. It's like you have to go through the ringer, you know? Yeah. You have to go through all that stuff and then come out of it and be like, I feel like using blue today.
0: Right. And it's not, it's in, in a funny way, it's not like an anti intellectual position at all. It's like, you know, I could talk about it at length, but um, there is something interesting about that urge that you just have to give into it yeah. sometimes.
1: Trusting your instincts. Yeah. You know, it takes a certain amount of time. I used to hear that when I was younger, this idea that, you know, you have to work a certain amount of time to really feel like you understand certain things. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm older, I kind of understand what they're talking about. No doubt. It's just you over that experience. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that just come to you, you know, that before that's I think that's why you do conceptualize things when you're younger because you feel like you have to defend it because it's a raw decision or something.
0: Yeah, and there's also there's this kind of like awareness of being on stage as a young artist, but also when you when you're in school. So you're sort of answering answering to your you know, the faculty member in your mind or yeah.
1: the like panel that's gonna pass or fail your you know right. semester. The twelve people in the group. Yeah. Quits. When when exactly. do you get that after school? Right. Never. Ever. <laughs> twelve yeah. people telling you why your work is failing. Why it sucks.
0: And then when you get out of school and you have like your first opening, everybody tells you it looks great. Oh, that's like, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah.
1: Right. You're like, this feels weird. Right. And you don't trust it at all. No, yeah. <laughs>
0: looks great. Looks great. Fantastic work. Yeah. Like six months ago, you were telling me it wasn't
1: great. That yeah. is kind of a big Thanks. switch, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? That no one really talks about that much. But it is a, it's kind of a... It's just social etiquette of um, postgraduate art. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it took so, it's so difficult to get yourself into that position of hanging 15 pieces that people mm-hmm. can respond to. Right. Then maybe that's part of the battle, too. It's like you've earned the, hey, it looks great. Right. You got it on the wall.
0: Well, you know, it's true, actually. I think as when I first moved to New York and I was young, um, I, I think I was much more opinionated and fiery about the work mm-hmm. I liked and didn't like. And having you know survived the art world for 15, 17 years or whatever... Um, you know, I, I just respect people that do it at yeah. this point. Like, you know, your work may not be my thing or it may be exactly what I want to see. But I just respect the, the fact that you're like making it and yeah. you're grinding and you've found a way to keep going. Um, and so I, I feel less opinionated about most shows I see. And there's things that I really love that I'm always drawn to. But, um, but I, I never leave a show and think... God, I hate that. Or like you're it? angry? Yeah, like, oh, why do they have a show? <laughs> yeah. sucks. Yeah, Yeah. I don't, I don't
1: get that anymore either. I've no. become a real sort of cheerleader right. for artists because it isn't easy. I mean, occasionally,
0: like if I see something that is so predictably sort of hooked into a
1: trend of the mm-hmm.
0: day, that it will like annoy me. But Yeah.
1: Um, no, I agree. I just don't bitch about it anymore. Yeah, you know? no.
0: It's like, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, good. Right. Did you see that show? That's bullshit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah
0: why are they in the biennial? Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like, where'd you go? I can't believe they included that person. Right. Yeah, I don't really get that. It's funny. I was just at a a show recently, and I don't know, like, the space was beautiful, and the work was, I was on the fence about it, but it looked Mm -hmm. good, and I was interested in, I was interested in the fact that I wasn't sold by the work. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was, to me, enticing in a way. I was like, hmm, I, I think I might not be crazy about this. Right, and you think about it. Yeah. yeah, and then I was telling a friend, like, oh, did you see that show? And they're like, yeah, did you like it? <laughs> and that's like, right. yeah, I don't know. But that felt better to me than just, you know, the garden variety. Like, oh, that was a good show. Yeah, whatever. Right. You know? Thumbs up. Yeah.
0: Whatever. Yeah.
1: It's almost like yeah. it asks you a question, and that is interesting at this
0: point. I mean, I f- I find that true about my own work. Like, I'll make something that I'm not <laughs> sure about. And maybe, like, five years from now, I'll decide that it's no good. But right. The fact that I'm not sure about it is somehow more interesting than, like, making the painting that I know. Right. The same. That, like, delivers a certain thing that I, that appeals to me. Or right.
1: Whatever. Yeah. It's really interesting how that cycles, you know. Yeah. And throughout, once you're, and that's the thing, once you make work for over 10 years, I imagine it's a lot different, too, when you've been making work for 40 or 50 years. Right. But those tiny little shifts become big to you, you know, where other people might just see the work and be like, it's not that different. Right. Like, I'll get to it later, but like I was thinking in your current show, mm-hmm. there's some things in there that, f- to me, felt different. Yeah, I think I think so. But not, you know, anything monumental, but right. compared to a lot of the stuff that I've seen in the past. So. Um,
0: are we recording right now?
1: We are. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> We're recording. <laughs> I was just like... Yeah, yeah, there's no official intro
0: to that. Um, no, I, I think it's true. I, um, Part of it is kind of a reintroduction of landscape. Mm-hmm. So my work, um, when I started showing and painting in New York, I was playing with ideas of landscape and little people and big kind of epic American landscapes. And um, this is two thousand. Yeah, it was like my first. I think my first show was with Fredericks Freiser in uh, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so gradually, the work became more kind of pared down over the course of eight, ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so pared down that I actually made some abstract paintings for one show. and um, But it was really minimal space, a kind of a distillation of information. Mm-hmm. And um, I went I went to Italy two summers ago for residency, and I was making studio paintings there, but I would also every day go out and just do like a plein air landscape painting in the mm-hmm. afternoon just because I wanted to be outside. In Italy. Right. And I hadn't done plein air painting in 20 years or something. It was just fun, and it felt like... Subversive to stare at a tree all day. Yeah. You know, it's like, when do you do that? Right. The opportunity to do that. So um, I started thinking about vast space again and um, the kind of theater of painting space. And that, coming back, I wanted to kind of reintroduce the idea of landscape into the work in a new way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sort of moment coincided with our move out of New York. And I wonder, I, I, it wasn't a conscious thing, but I, I wonder a little bit about just space in New York and how that was informing the kind of um, geometry and compressed minimal spaces of my paintings. And now I live in a place where I see the sky every day, mm-hmm. like, can, you know, look off into the distance. And, so I, I don't know. I, I wonder about that. I think it's probably informing the way I'm thinking about what kind of space I want to create in a painting, yeah. too. And then I, I mean, my work has always had, I think, has always had a kind of under-the-surface surreal strangeness about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think about space, um, not exactly as a kind of collage space, but I, I construct space. Mm-hmm. So it's less of an observed, illusionistic space. It's more sort of a pieced-together fictional world. Um, and so I think with this work, I just gave myself permission to play that up a little bit. And it overlapped some with my kind of like surrealist, like we were talking about earlier, my like high school surrealist impulse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that I think that is a little different in the new work. So it, it seems to have come out of this for me, it's come out of this um, kind of collaged play with figure and abstraction in the last few bodies of work, but mm-hmm. Now I've kind of reintroduced landscape into that soup or whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, is that what you were, uh, you were doing in, in college? Were you making landscape paintings? Uh, no.
0: Um, so I went to the University of Georgia, mm-hmm. which and is part grew- of why we moved back to Athens. And you grew up? I grew up in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. Um, the paintings, have, Georgia was really like a painter's school, mm-hmm. like a lot of state universities mm-hmm. at that time. This was mid-90s, early 90s. Excuse me. And um, so there was a kind of um, it was a very it was a vibrant painting school. Um, I think most of the faculty there was invested in different ideas of expressionism, sort of like the rhetoric of expressing yourself and you know pouring yourself onto the canvas, physicality, it's physicality, material, right like sort of moving the paint around and finding some new way to talk about your inner self. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people, there was a kind of like Thomas Hart Benton uh, regional narrative painting tradition there that kind of overlapped with that idea of expressionism. And then there was the kind of like uh, late de Kooning expressionist school there. But everybody was just like pushing paint around, just excited to make paintings. And so my work at the time was maybe like a melt of um, like Fischl, who I really loved, Mm -hmm. uh, Lucian Freud, a little Frank Auerbach, a little de Kooning. So I had moments where it was like just sloppy pictures. um, And then other times were more like stage suburban angst narratives. Mm -hmm. Horrible. I mean, you know, they're like in my mom's basement uh, and they (laughs) haunt me. Every once
1: in a while she'll hang one up. I'm like, mom, we gotta we gotta put that away. It sounds but like um, it, you had the support though of the of the faculty, because it seems like oh, that's yeah, what yeah. they were championing.
0: Them. Yeah. And it was, I mean, honestly, um, there were some things about my work at that time that I still um, am interested in. And sort of I, I think it's interesting that I was like pushing uh, pushing certain ideas in my work at the time mm-hmm. that, um, went beyond just the material, but it was also just a great way to learn how to paint. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like seeing your friends with their clothes off and just like slinging paint around <laughs> at age 20, it's like, it's just a great way to learn how to move the material around. Yeah.
1: And, so um, you were enjoying it. Oh my God. Yeah. I love painting. Well, it's hard I still to, love painting, but yeah, it's hard um, not to root for that exuberance as a, yeah. as a teacher, you know, like.
0: And I wonder. I mean, I think had the school been a more so the grad school I went to was a little different. I'll talk about it too. But um, I think at age nineteen or twenty, if I had been in a more like skeptical postmodern school, I don't. You know, I don't. I may have lost interest. Like I needed that kind of zeal, and um, I just needed to be excited about doing it. Um, Because I switched. I started when I started at the university. I was uh, in like a pre-law trajectory. So I studied history and political science. And then um, it's a big state university. So I was able to take some art classes as electives. Mm-hmm. And I, I was pretty serious about art in high school. Um, but it wasn't really like a practical path, of course. No one it thinks still is, that. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> right. Still have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> this but, is something um, I could do for a living. Right. Um, so I had sort of my sophomore year, I kind of had a moment where I needed to yeah, look in the mirror and decide what I want to do. And mm-hmm. um, so I started studying painting. And I think the fact that the faculty was so, you know, that, like you say, like that energy was really important to me at that point. Um, And I still, I still love painting in that way. I have that kind of excitable, romantic in me that is a big part of my work now. I mean, maybe with it's a little more detached and thoughtful than it was when I was 19. But, um, but yeah, no, I still love painting.
1: Still pushing paint around. Yeah, no matter how you do it, right.
0: And it, it, like we were saying earlier, like it takes a long time as a painter to get to the point where that's like, you know, you've earned the right to say that's what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Um, not that I don't think about the images I make, but, um, but yeah, you have to follow your instincts a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the museum school, um, I feel very lucky to have gone to the museum school. I, you know, I applied out of Georgia. I really had no idea where one should go to grad school. You know, kids today, they have, like, uh, you know, so much access to information. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, like, sent off for some, you know, some pamphlets. And, uh, you know, everybody at Georgia applied to Yale and the Art Institute of Chicago and then whatever other school that you could, like, you know, find that was interesting. And so um, the museum school had a great pamphlet. <laughs> And um, That sold you? <laughs> it kind of did, actually. Yeah. And It's funny because a few of my friends that went to school there were also sold on the pamphlet. Mm-hmm. They had great uh, material. But um, it was a great school at that moment. It's still a good school, but there was this moment where um, the undergrads and the grad students that were there were exceptionally good, and still a lot of them are still actively painting and, mm-hmm. or making art. And um, the faculty, there were some young faculty that had just come in. Uh, and they some of them only stayed for a couple years but it was just this this moment where the energy was rich at the school and I feel really lucky to have been there because I didn't really know what I was getting into Yeah, I just I knew I wanted to get out of the south and I wanted to live in a city um, and have a different kind of experience and the school was way more tapped into like the New York art conversation than any that I'd had at Georgia so that was really exciting to me um but it was, I mean, it still is probably, but at the time it was definitely like the quintessential postmodern school. Yeah. So multimedia, um, painting was challenged constantly. Like every crit I ever had, somebody asked me like, have you thought you about painting? doing performance art? or <laughs> You know, like why painting now? Yeah. And um, I mean, it was, I think for me it was really important to hear that and think about it. Like I, yeah. I, I even stopped painting, certainly slowed down the painting for a while did some other things. But, um, you know, getting back to painting, I had to really know why I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think it was healthy. It was kind of a perfect combination with my undergrad experience. And I've said this before, but I think maybe the work I make now, in some ways, is a combination of those two ways of thinking about painting. Because yeah. I have, on one hand, I'm really, like I said, I have romantic impulses as a painter. Mm-hmm. But I'm also really aware of the history of images and think about construction, constructing space and constructing pictures and what does it all mean. Yeah. Um, so I think I can, I try to have my cake and eat it too sort of with the work, but, um, but you kind of do that too. I mean, you sort of, you know, like you, you seem to be really invested in images and like the transformative kind of possibility of image, but it's also seems like you're really aware of language and the language of images too and a more kind of intellectual way I guess maybe I yeah. don't know that's just sort of how I see it.
1: sure right. <laughs> I don't know I, found my, I find it so much easier to talk about other people's work uh-huh. because I'm so like knee deep in my own stuff that I don't even know how to package it or you know what I mean well that's right. why I'm trying to talk about your work because I don't want to talk about mine um, I like that yours though you had that north south experience you right. know what I mean it, it's, it's sort of like the Mason Dixon line right. like change yeah. up of like you know approach yeah. Was it a big transition socially too? Like growing up in the south and then coming up north or um was it pretty easy as a college student? You know, at that well, age. I mean I it's funny because I my
0: family's from Atlanta and like I was the first in my family to leave Atlanta. And so it did it did feel like a big deal, especially this is pre internet, or yeah. sort of like as the internet was taking off. So we didn't, you know, like now. Kids that grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta have access to everything yeah. that kids in New York do, or what you know. You're exposed um, to it all. Right. But then it was like, Oh wow, you're going up there? Like Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it, it felt like a big deal. And then when I got to Boston, my accent used to be much thicker. Mm-hmm. It's coming back a little bit since I moved to Athens, <laughs> but uh, it used to be really thick. And then I remember being in some kind of like seminar classes and I would speak yeah. in class people like, What Where this guy hey, go? What is this hit? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um isn't it funny like that yeah.
0: that you disguise it? You know, I think like... it just went away. It was just like it just disappeared. Yeah. Um but I you know it's, I did have a moment I, at the museum school everybody was making work either directly or indirectly about identity at the time. Mm-hmm. This was like the 90s. Uh, the 90s. Yeah. yeah, late 90s. So um I did have a moment where I was sort of thinking about like growing up in the south and southern literature and mm-hmm. you know a, some of that was pushed on me, like, you should be thinking about this. Right. But it also it was interesting you. to, like, kind of, uh, to investigate that some. Um, and it is, it's interesting being back now. But I, you know, I, I, Atlanta is really different than it was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really diverse city. There's a lot of creative money in Atlanta now, which wasn't, it used to be, um, in a sort of like the downtown Towny scene. Um, now I think the film industry's really blown up. The yeah. music industry's really blown up. The uh, the food culture is really blown up. So there's a lot of creative, progressive money there. Um,
1: Sports are big too, right? Sports are big. That brings in yeah. a certain element of. And so the art community
0: and the music scene are really um, I, they feel very energized. In a in a way that it, that wasn't the case when I was young, mm-hmm. and the city's also maybe six times five times the size it was when I was in high school. So it was a million plus, and now it's like six million mm-hmm. in the whole metro area. Um, so
1: that's a big shift from
0: when you yeah, left and when you came back. It's really different, and part of the reason we moved to Athens, actually, which is an hour away from Atlanta, is the traffic in Atlanta is insane. It's yeah. like LA. So you know, I can dip in and see people I know in Atlanta, and uh See my mother and then go back to my studio in Athens. And it feels, it's a little bit like living upstate or something.
1: Yeah. You know, just spend half the day in the car. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, it's funny. Like, you go to an opening in Atlanta and the crowd at openings typically very diverse mm-hmm. in a way that the Brooklyn art scene is not. Like, you go to Chelsea and it's like, you know, people, there are a few yeah, people yeah. of color and there's a lot of white kids from right. like, you know art schools on the East Coast. Yeah. In Atlanta, like the, the cultural community is really diverse in mm-hmm. an interesting way. And so I kind of like, it's not, as an art scene, it's not really happening, happening, happening yet. But mm-hmm. um, it feels new and sort of like the future of, um, if, if some things happen with the way that people collect there or support the arts, I feel like it could
1: really be something Special. Yeah. Um, well, that's a big part of any art community, right? Is the money that's coming in and sort yeah. of supporting it in a way. So. Right. But it, it does, it feels the art scene there feels more like a
0: real cross section of the city. Right. In the way that it doesn't necessarily New York. Yeah. I mean, that's still, New York feels like home to me, but um, it's just some uh, sort of an outsider's perspective
1: there, actually, because I'm like a fly on the wall a little bit. But. Um, What's it like as you guys coming back after doing the New York thing? Is there a perception or is it, you know, do um, people kind of know? I mean, because you guys have both done well and then you've started, you know, a space. Well, did you find one of six green or did you, were you a founding member of it? Yeah. 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 My friend Mitchell, um, he's, you know, one of my best friends, great
0: artist. Mm-hmm. He lives there and, um, it's a big live work, old school Williamsburg, Greenpoint loft kind of space. Mm hmm. And, um, yeah, we were just like drinking beer and he was like, we should start a gallery in the, he had an extra room. And so we, you know, we had big plans for that and then thought about it for a couple weeks and like, Oh, maybe this is a good idea. And so we just on a whim kind of curated a big group show and, um, did that for a while. We would occasionally just curate or invite people to curate group shows there. And, uh, and we had to take a little break because they did some construction on the space. So mm-hmm. we took maybe a year or two years off and then decided to do it again, but focus more on solo shows.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, moving back, we can talk about that more. But um, moving back, I think it's interesting because I think Athens, there's a real music scene in Athens that's yeah. still very um, active. And like if you're, if you're, an 18-year-old kid in a band south of D.C., you probably moved to Athens for a while. Um, The art scene is, there are a lot of artists, but I think that most of the people there that make art have, um, I think they like being kind of alone in their studios and making their work. Yeah. And so I don't know, you know, I don't know if, like, the idea of going to New York or being in New York, um, I think different people react to that differently, you know. different ways um Atlanta the people in Atlanta are much more um hungry for access and interested in the the international art world conversation yeah that's not entirely true there are people in Athens that are too but I think a lot of the visual artists there just like going to their studio and making their work and are happy
1: doing that isn't that something too that like a provincial town can afford you a little more of because it's a little it's more affordable
0: Oh yeah. You no, know, really like if I moved to back
1: there. to Pittsburgh tomorrow, I could get a mm-hmm. big space for next to nothing compared right. to here. Right. And I could probably be happy kind of doing my thing. I would be less dependent on a bigger Some market in a way. Yeah. Right. So
0: Oh no, absolutely. Like you can you can do it there. Yeah. And I I mean in a way, I think I maintain a level of idealism and um as an artist, I kind of respect that. I do respect people that just want to make their work. Yeah, and so I that was, I, the teachers that I really connected to there had that kind of attitude about their practice in the art world. And so I've always maintained a little bit of that myself, even though I moved to New York and had kind of romantic ideas about what being a New York artist was. Mm-hmm. So it's not. It's actually kind of nice to be around
1: it, like people just serious about making their work. And yeah, that's a you know. That's definitely um, a positive. The, the only right. negative is the people who move outside of the city and they're bitter. Right. And, they're, and that that happens too, of course. Yeah. yeah. And they complain about you right. know.
0: people who left or. Right. Yeah. They're mad about who's in the biennial and who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even um, though they're like way outside of that. Right. Or they. I mean, yeah. And of course, this is not just about Athens, it's about just like. It's like uh, different pockets of the art world yeah. nationally, but um, oftentimes the people that um, hate the art world the most want in the most. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's totally like, true. Yeah. Um, but it's you know, I don't know, it's a mess. I mean, I, if it's um, <laughs> it's a mess. Like <laughs> I was just thinking about the like crazy networks of the art world, yeah. like the system of the world. It is a mess. But it seems like there are there's sort of two economic systems that support artists and one is academia is one. Mm-hmm. And then there's some some pocket of what we think of as the art world is right. another. And uh, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people believe that academia is a pure place where people are just like interested in ideas and, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not no it's not <laughs> yeah i mean the art world in some ways is um as superficial and flawed as it can be it also gen, like generates amazing work and yeah. energy and um at all levels right you know from the bluest blue chip all the way down mm-hmm. um yeah it's just something i've been thinking about a lot since moving there because um yeah, in a lot of towns like that, the university supports the art community. Yeah, it was the same at VCU a little bit, although VCU um, is far more tapped into the art world, the bigger art world yeah. than a lot of schools, state
1: schools. There's a lot of artists coming right out of there. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. And teaching there. Yeah, and, and teaching too.
0: There. Yeah. Um, I mean, Georgia's still a great school, but it's, I've just been thinking about like small towns versus big cities, and both have things to offer, and uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, things, and I tell, students, I tell students, you can make it work. I mean, if you're dedicated and working hard, mm-hmm. you'll kind of, I feel like you'll, or to a large extent, you'll find a place that is going to serve you. you know? right. like if you're going to thrive or if a provincial town is the best place for you, it's almost like you'll get there. You right. If you need that energy of like L.A. or New York or mm-hmm. London or something, you know, you'll find your way there. And then you'll just, it'll be important enough that you'll just make it happen you
0: know yeah and I do I mean I think as the day I left Athens because of my attachment to certain professors I had there that was um, I could talk more about them specifically but they were really like great artists and they just hung out in Athens and made their work mm-hmm. and I, I respected that so much I think the day I left and thought alright I want to go to New York I always in the back of my mind thought But one day I want to like bail on New York and come back. So that's where I am now. (laughs) So I I don't mean, I hope I don't sound critical of that universe. It's like there, it's really, um, it's just, it's interesting to think about the contrast at this point. Right. Because I had very like nostalgic, um, kind of idealized ideas about what it meant to be there in the same way that maybe I did moving here as well. But the reality of both places is an interesting thing to think about.
1: Yeah, and ever shifting. Right. I mean it's been no stranger to you know, a topic of discussion and these conversations that, you know, New York has changed so much. Oh my god. It's not easy yeah. to live here. I'm sure it, well, it's been easier at points. Not maybe maybe financially it's been easier, but it's been a little more rough around the edges or, you know, a little mm-hmm. crazy at times or whatever. But now it's just, you know, space is an issue. Yeah, the cost of real estate. Yeah, it's a real issue. And because
0: no, oh, I mean, that was why, ultimately why we left. Um, I had a studio over here in Williamsburg. I had it for 15 years, way below market. Mm-hmm. God, my landlord was like the nicest guy. He let me stay far longer than he should have. <laughs> and um, I lost that studio. Uh, at the same time, we had been, we lost our rent stabilized apartment mm-hmm. through some crazy law loophole. And so we were in another apartment, but the rent in the new apartment was going up again. So I was looking for studios that were like half the size for five times the amount I'd been paying. And then our apartment rent was going to go up. And then Holly, of course, she's a painter as well. And so we had, she had to have some kind of, she was, had been working in a bedroom in the apartment, but she needed more space. Her work was getting bigger in scale. And, um, it was just, it was going to be crazy for us monthly. So, um, that was a big part of it. We have, I have, we have this huge warehouse space that we converted into an apartment and two big studios. Mm-hmm. And I could, n- could never yeah. think about having that in a city or even really New York State, for that matter. Maybe like way up
1: like uh, Canadian border. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to where you go so far north, it becomes expensive yeah. again. It's like, oh, I hit Syracuse. It's, right. Exactly. <laughs> or the Niagara like Falls. Toronto suburb. Right. <laughs> But um, and also I hate the cold weather, so that was a big part of it. Like I just yeah.
0: I couldn't go upstate and be in the snow six months out of the year.
1: Yeah, that's um, a big trend. I mean, if you're from the south, I don't yeah. know how people do it. No, I don't. you know, I'm from the northeast, mm-hmm. and I can't stand the winters here. Athens winter this year, it was really
0: amazing. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think we had one.
0: There was one weekend when we were supposed to get like two inches of snow, and I I don't think any fell in our neighborhood in Athens. <laughs> Um, I don't was think it. you're allowed to call that winter. Right. But it was, um, I, you know, it was like lows in the upper 30s to, you know, like mid 40s. Yeah. That's as nice. bad as it gets. Yeah. yeah. It's really
1: nice. That's doable.
0: And there are, you know, the, I think the creative community there is um, rich in a lot of ways, too. There are mm-hmm. a lot of writers there, a lot of, as I said, a lot of musicians. and It's, nice. it's just nice to be around creative people. In a laid-back small town, yeah, um, because it, in some ways it doesn't feel that different from Brooklyn uh, at times. Because there's still like the hipster barbecue place, and, right? You know, people are tapped into like certain trends in music and culture, and
1: that's and, another thing about the internet too, right? Or TV, right? It's like now every town is a food town. There's right, foodies sure. every like you can get, you know, food. There used to be a day when you go to New York, you know. I used to live over on Grand Street. And you could eat around the world in one block, basically. You know, there's right. so many different restaurants from different places. And and they're pretty legit, you know. Yeah. And, like, if you go out, like, we used to go on tour when I was in a band. And there was nothing. Like, no good food. If you found, like, a divey Vietnamese place, you were, it was like heaven. <laughs> right. And now it's, like, every town. You look at these shows, you know, on Food Network or whatever. And there's great food all over from all over, you yeah. know. I think it's changed. Like, the information you know becoming accessible at the same time like everything is becoming yeah, more what more people accessible. want for themselves has changed yeah for that reason
0: right. no I, I mean i think when i was in school in athens there was like there was one italian restaurant um, one what was thought to be sort of like an upscale mexican restaurant but it was probably, <laughs> if it was still around i'm sure i wouldn't love it right um, and then one sort of place like you'd take your parents when they came to town and now they're i mean it's so retro I was gonna try to say restaurant rich, but it came out differently. Uh, Restaurant rich. So yeah, there's a lot of food, and it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. And that was something when we talked about moving upstate. A lot of the towns we were looking at were, you know, off season especially. It was like they were like ghost towns. Yeah. And so it's nice to be in a place where you can, you know, work
1: in the studio all day and then go get a beer and something to eat in a nice
0: place and go home. So
1: yeah. Well, it used to be the city, the, one of the main draws of the city was, and I think it still is for some places, the diversity and mm-hmm. all the things that are accessible. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, accessibility has changed, you know. Yeah. It's like even shopping. You can basically get anything. Like, I remember when I first came to New York and I would go to the art supply stores and I was like, wow, they have so much more stuff. Right. Than I could get can anywhere get this else. Brush yeah, and, yeah. Right. And and you would just see all this paper and mm-hmm. and that was a big draw. And now it's like you can order the most obscure thing and have it in two days. Right. Online. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Or whatever. It's it's crazy. Know. You know. It's a, it's not like you have to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. There's a lot of stuff we get like soccer equipment or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like we have like the Adidas store on Broadway, and you know we have all these stores, but yet we'll order online because they get it quicker. Or it's easier to just get it, on. Mm-hmm. and it's. I think that's changed things too. You know, just the the accessibility of things. I mean, it's amazing. My my nieces play soccer. Mm-hmm. I grew up
0: playing soccer. I love soccer. The only games that I was able to watch as a kid were like on Univision at it was like some, oh, yeah, like yeah. Uh, like the Italian game of the week on Univision on Sunday mornings. Right. Um.
1: Or at that Mexican restaurant. Or at the they Mexican might, restaurant might had a screen on right there.
0: exactly. Um. And now, I mean, my my nieces are like completely, they're 10 years old and they know like every player in the Champions League. Mm -hmm. Like I was getting texts from my niece on my sister, my sister, (laughs) these texts kept popping up from my sister's phone. I was like, why is Elizabeth writing me this stuff? (laughs) Um, But she was, um, my niece Ridley was watching the uh, Champions League final. And she was like, what did you think of that play? And you know, he's no good. He used to play for so-and-so and (laughs) she knew stuff that I didn't know and I was trying to keep up with her. But um, yeah, yeah, they
1: have access to so much. And they play FIFA, so they know they're, they right. can even almost coach to... Or, like, they have a different kind of understanding Yeah. Of, of what it was like to play. And, like, we probably played soccer at the same time growing up. I didn't know anything about the Bundesliga or, or oh, the no. Premier League or any of that yeah.
0: stuff. I just knew that, uh, like, European soccer... There were hooligans in European soccer.
1: We knew like, that. Yeah. And, Maradona. and Maradona. I feel like of course. we heard about
0: Maradona. Or, like, uh, I knew Cruyff. Yeah, Cruyff. Cruyff, and, yeah. Um, there was a, what's the guy? I remember uh, Rud
1: Hullett. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 There was
0: a certain like 86, 86 World Cup. I started to really pay attention to international players, mm-hmm. but
1: but again, we weren't I, like watching it all the time. Now you could see. Oh, yeah. It, anything. No, any like time. Messi
0: is like Michael Jordan mm-hmm. internationally. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's incredible. But I love it because I you know I I um growing up in the South of my my school in Atlanta suburban Atlanta was a early soccer spot Mm -hmm. so i I was lucky in some ways but um but you know i certainly like the expectation was that you would play football or baseball or something like that in the 80s
1: american sport yeah of
0: course (laughs) only commies played soccer (laughs) um and uh so i I love it i love that you know the conversation around soccer is what it is and i can talk to my nieces about it because we do some serious bonding yeah um, but my, my niece, Ridley, she's about to turn 11, and she can juggle the ball 650 times. Nice. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I think I was like 15 when I hit that. Yeah. But, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And with, and if, no, you're, she's a beast. She's if you're a female player in this country, there's hope. Oh, yeah. There's something to shoot for. Oh, yeah. And she's, she,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, you know, her, she plays in a league, and everybody's really serious, and you know, you hear parents delusional parents talking right, about, like, the right. national team yeah. on the sidelines. You're know, like, they're 10.
1: Like, slow down a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, And if they are national team quality, they right. might be already, like, on some sort of club. Track. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Is. Well, at least it's like that for international soccer. It's like, you hear about yeah. these guys who get, you know, we were, our, our family was interested in this kid who's like a cousin of a friend from Japan who signed to Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. I think he was eight. Seven or eight years That's old amazing. or something, yeah. but you see vi- videos of him in Japan juggling, mm-hmm. and he's like walking through the park juggling at the same time, going up steps, and you know, just like a freak in yeah. nature, like that kind of like you know savantish yeah. level of of a talent that you know. And then you get into these local games where people mm-hmm. are parents are getting into it like it's the world, like their kid's gonna be in the World Cup, and it's probably, and so much
0: of it's physical. Like you don't know. Like I, I played on a like a kind of a semi serious club team. Actually we thought we were very serious at the time, but um there was a kid on my team who was good. He was mm-hmm. really good, one of the better players on the team. And then when he got to be sixteen or seventeen, his body changed and he went from being good to being like fucking unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was just you no know, nothing anyone could predict. He, right. He grew, he was tall, he was fast. And um yeah, he played he played on the national team. But it was like when you were when he was fourteen or thirteen you wouldn't, you wouldn't have picked know. him as the one right um, it's like he was no more be. serious about it than anyone else he was just like his body just changed in a way that it clicked. gave him an advantage yeah and that, that level like micro advantages are everything yeah so like Messi you know he's a tiny little guy yeah. but he's half a step faster than the best players in the world
1: in lower center of gravity in lower center of gravity right look at Hazard people like that who are like you know yeah. super short but super fast and hard to knock over oh yeah I know.
0: I know my my problem was I, I was I worked really hard. I had great skill and I could see the field well, but I was slow. Mm-hmm. So it was like when they when they talk about players like Messi that see the game in slow motion, like yeah. I did too, but it was actually like I was <laughs> <laughs> it was actually slow motion. It was the real life speed. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, speed is important. It is. It is. And if I if I had been a half a step or a step faster, I could have, you know, I mean, I was playing in college, but I didn't. I decided to go to be a college
1: student instead of. That's what like, I did. I, yeah, I got a couple of scholarships to like tiny mm-hmm. soccer schools, and I was like, "Well, I know." It's like, do I want to be a fourth tier college soccer right. athlete or college athlete, or should I go learn something? Right. Or like, <laughs> yeah,
0: go drink my way through my freshman sophomore years. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> that's. I mean, um, that's kind of a big part of it. Yeah. But it's funny that that thing same that same kind of idea applies to or at least in my experience um, art because I had friends in high school who were great drawers you know? mm-hmm. they could they could they were talented but they couldn't think of you know they mm-hmm. like right. I was not the most talented artist by any stretch I still am not but oh, that's you know funny I would have guessed that you had like crazy no, rendering chops I had, or something no I was average at best huh. And I just did what I wanted to do. I was making uh, like abstract paintings on paper in high school Mm -hmm. because I saw a video of Pollock. My Mm -hmm. art teacher showed me that, you know, that uh, video of him painting on the glass. And I was like, what? You know, that blew Mm -hmm. my mind. And I was like, well, I'll try to do that, you know. And that sort of lit the fire.
0: It is amazing how high school teachers, like a good high school teacher
1: changes a lot for art students. And your whole life. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to someone the other day about language. Mm -hmm. I chose French because the French teacher was very sophisticated and intelligent and charming. Mm -hmm. And the Spanish and German teachers were just dudes who were not into it. (laughs) Why would you take Spanish? Yeah, why would I take that? Yeah, Uh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I could have been armed with a language that would be really useful to me as a New York (laughs) resident. You know, and, and now I know French and I never, use, it's probably completely gone. Like when I go, I can understand things, but I can't really mm-hmm. speak, speak French. And, um, you know, it's totally useless to me. Right. But if I would have learned Spanish, but it was all because she brought baguettes to class with Nutella. Right. And we wanted the Nutella. Well, it's like the, it's like Rushmore. The kid like saves Latin because he falls oh, in yeah, love with the that's, teacher. Yeah. But those things matter, mm-hmm. you know, if good teachers. It's a it's yeah. a huge thing, you know.
0: No, my art teacher was, um, she was amazing. Like we, the senior year, junior and senior year, she had it was a studio class, but it was basically a 20th century art history class. Mm-hmm. And so we went through every like ism of 20th century. That's maybe pretty, even started with like Manet. That's amazing. Yeah, and then you would make age. work like you make Cubist work or you yeah. make like Dada piece or um,
1: melting clocks.
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I made some melting stuff. Yeah, yeah that was. Yeah, um, I found a few of those paintings recently, and they, I, they actually could have been in the show that I just put up. But um, wow, you still have high school a couple work in my closet downstairs. Nice, yeah, some choice pieces. I yeah. didn't get rid of. Um, <laughs> when you have your retrospective, well, I was th- somebody was talking off. about this recently. It'd be cool to do a show of like artists and their like one piece from high school. Yeah. That would be. I feel like somebody else suggested that, and I'm stealing the idea now. But um, but it would be cool. It's okay. You can have it. Yeah. That's yeah. If I mount the show
1: first, it doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> I was fovist in high school. I think. Oh, really? Because I'm That's now I'm good. thinking back to yeah. like my first work work like uh-huh. the first things that I did where I was like, okay, I'm gonna make a painting, and mm-hmm. it was mine. It wasn't an assignment or something. Mm-hmm. And it was like a church in Pittsburgh. It's church, 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 bar, church, bar, mm-hmm. church, church. You know. So mm-hmm. I painted a church, but it was. It was like these crazy colors and maybe it was just you know an escape from the gray or something, but that would be good that would be a good uh-huh. show. The high school show the high school art show. yeah. Of all people who you know their work is recognized and people feel like they have a specific you know aesthetic, like someone mm-hmm. like whose work is identifiable and then you just hit them with the high school work the mm-hmm. show where they came from. right. It's a good idea. 106 green. Maybe. I was thinking about that. Why not? Next right? summer, maybe. The, um, yeah, there was a
0: documentary called Seven Up. Did you see that? No. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, so uh, forgive me. But they, they interview kids, kids in London or in Britain, every seven years. So mm-hmm. starting at age seven and then 14 and then 21. But um, they check in with them every seven years. And I think they, they followed them for until they were like in their 30s and 40s. Um, but most of them, when they were adults, ended up doing something that they said they wanted to do when they were seven years old. And so the interviews at seven were really telling and actually a great forecast for what their lives would become. And then, you know, when they were 14 or 21, they were wrestling with like what they were supposed to be or what they, um, and then when they'd get, you know, go back to that 28, they were like, Oh yeah, I actually became a fireman or whatever. Yeah. So I wonder if there's like an artistic equivalent to that. Like when you're, you know, when you're learning how to paint, if those impulses and urges actually resurface when you're, like you let yourself go there when you're older.
1: That's a really interesting premise mm -hmm. and going to be made. That's going to be have to... The the study of that will be done by someone who's not an artist. I feel like because right, exactly. for us to have the patience and wherewithal to check in with someone, a group of people over oh, yeah. a certain amount of time, right? It's like we are the most looking forward, not looking back people on the planet. I think. Well, maybe we could just do the like
0: the uh, middle school art show, and that would be
1: enough. Yeah, like, that's true. Mm-hmm. You can you know draw the line between in your own mind of mm-hmm. like how the work whether it connects or not, right. Yeah, I think it, it probably... That's really interesting about people doing what they really want to do, though, because you kind of... I feel like that happens with artwork, too, where kids kind of draw and they do the thing and they're and then society comes in and kind of crushes everything, you know, mm-hmm. crushes their dreams and, like, they've got to conform to what you're supposed to do and then, mm-hmm. really, I think the rest of the life you're trying to break out of that or capture some of the that early energy in a way. I think so. I think a lot of people try yeah um that would explain retirement you ever <laughs> notice like when people retire and just start doing all these things <laughs> what the hell are you doing that's really fun. what they right. wanted to do their whole life right they're finally like you know i'm doing it who cares right exactly i'm just
0: gonna walk around and flip-flops and
1: yeah but i wonder if most painter or not just painters most artists will retire and just keep doing their work probably because I feel like we're really doing what we want I mean I think that's the great thing about being an artist yeah
0: and I, I've said that actually in, when I'm teaching at times and students are wrestling with what they should do with their lives I'm like well one great thing about art there are a few great things you get to travel with your work mm-hmm. see amazing places and the other is that you, you never retire you just you know if you love what you're doing you just keep on going yeah. until you you know you drop right and um, we're essentially in retirement Right. <laughs> <I know. laughs> You know, that's like, true. Like the guy that works at the bank every day wants to be painting. You know, starts painting when he's right. sixty. Yeah, George Bush, yeah, George exactly. W. Bush, right? Yeah, which he had retired a little earlier. Yeah, <laughs> <was> he retired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had he gone to art school? Right.
1: Um, yeah. So you took your talents to Georgia. You retired. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but that's kind of that's. It is true in a way. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you grapple with with the day-to-day of just making it work as an artist, you gain in the, right, and you're just doing what you want to do, right? which that's why everyone else hates artists, because they're like, what? When right. you tell someone outside, and especially having a kid, like you meet, a, like I meet a lot of people who are, I used to hang out with artists or creative people, now I hang out with a lot of people who I probably normally wouldn't have circled around, you know, Right. and they're just, some of them are baffled. That you make art. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, well, wait, what do you really do? Or, right. How's that working for you? Right. Exactly. You know, that sort of thing. And that's yeah. in New York. Imagine if you're not in New York. Oh, yeah. No, I remember when
0: um, telling people in Georgia that I wanted to be a painter. Mm-hmm. And they were like, house painter? House painter, like, yeah, you, yeah. contractor? You mean you <laughs> want to be Interior a Interior con- decorator? Right, exactly. Like, no, I'm going to paint naked people. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to do with my life. Um, and you made it happen. Well, yeah, so far. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think the thing, too, that people, especially students don't realize is that, you know, when you're sort of <coughs> trained to think about deadlines in school and you, you know, make work for the end of the semester and, and then you go to grad school and gain the approval of your advisors and professors mm-hmm. and, and then you leave school. You know, you have your life ahead of you, and it's really, you just have to show up every day and keep working and like grinding through it. And that is far less fun and romantic. Um, I mean, it's better than going to work at a bank, but it's like really, you have to be like dedicated and work hard in a way that I think most aspiring art students don't really understand. Yeah. um, Because you can do it for five years and then burn out or do it for 10 years and burn out and i mean you know it's um i think to keep going is a really difficult thing which is part we were talking about this earlier but it's part of why i feel less opinionated about work i see when it's being made by people who are just they're just making it happen yeah it's like i really respect that um especially people who've been at it for more than their first show out of school right yeah getting your first show and you know getting a little press and having a little heat or whatever that's It's great, but um yeah, doing it ten years or twenty years or thirty years is another thing altogether. Yeah. It's um, not easy. No. It's a marathon. It is, yeah. That I have been telling myself that from the beginning, but um yeah, I mean you we sort of started showing it at the same time, I mm-hmm. think, right? Early two yeah. thousands yep. and um yeah, the number of people that were like the toast of the town, you know, cover of this magazine or yeah. whatever um, that either aren't shown or don't make work anymore or just chosen a different path, Yeah. which is also like perfectly fine and respectable. But it's, yeah, I think the, the long-term
1: plan is a more difficult thing to manage. It is. Yeah, what happens when all that initial interest and excitement and all that goes away? And can you, do you have that drive? And are you still committed to, Right. you know, to making that work, because let's be honest, like, there's a lot of art schools out there. There's a lot of people going to school it's, to make art. It's daunting, and I tell students yep. like there are a lot of people out there who want it, mm-hmm. and they want it bad. You know what I mean? And if you're like eighty percent, it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I said, when that support system, the support, I think one of the main lines of support for an artist is excitement or interest you know like Mm -hmm. energy around the process of making it Mm -hmm. you mean in your your own interest or or from other people or yeah just like that support Mm -hmm. whether it's a external support system or your Mm -hmm. internal drive which often is fueled by excitement about things that are going on but what happens if things slow down and you don't have a lot of projects or whatever right can you keep at it and keep that energy because the energy is what you need to make the work you know right I mean, that's why I'm always, like, talking about, you know, fitness or, like, exercise in relation to making work. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of related in a way. It's a hit in the gym, you know. It's going to, like, you're staying fit in this process of making images and thinking about, you know. One of the great things is that just things change so fast now, too, visually, just in visual right. culture, that I always feel energized by things right. that are going on, you know, which... um I I think kind of unconsciously maybe in a way I've injected that into my work but you know it's something mm-hmm. that I feel like can give you that fuel for just you know things not being the same every day that you know white cube going into the studio and yeah you know turning everything off where you have the stimulus and energy that's hard to maintain over a long period of time It is and I do I think community is a big part of it yet yeah,
0: there were sort of two I had two thoughts when you we were talking one is I was recently talking to some grad students at Georgia and we were talking about sort of what to do after school and um, and I was trying to stress the idea that like being in a community is a really important thing for a lot of young artists and so you don't have to move to New York New York isn't the answer for everyone and certainly not now there are a lot of options the world is changing but I think it is important to find a place where you can be around other young artists that can feed your energy yeah Right, not even for like professional ambition, just like intellectual ambition. Right, you know, like you want your work to be the best it can be, and you need people around you that are pushing you to do that. Um, and that's kind of an interesting thing—the the difference between intellectual ambition and professional ambition. There's some overlap there sometimes, but um, but you have to put yourself in a position where you can have the ladder, yeah, or like establish the ladder somehow. And then, um, yeah, the other thing is like you were talking about visual culture like we do our culture is so image based now and it is like constant like instagram and whatever advertising yeah um so i do think about i think about how that energy feeds my work now and how my work has changed and um you know even in the past five years um sort of like post-Instagram painting. Yeah. I don't do it consciously or as like a conceptual endeavor, but it is just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. And I think about that too with people whose work is, would never reveal that in it, but it, you know, the work has shifted or just what they're exposed to has shifted, uh, what they have access to. Yeah. So, I mean, I this show that I have up now, my stomach is growling. I don't know if you can pick up on that. No, I haven't um, heard it. Good. <laughs> It's terrifying. Um. <laughs> I've got snacks whenever it uh, was there. Um, it sounds like I have a bear like standing behind me. Um, yeah, no, the, I think the show that I just finished, in a way, like I, I had been thinking about... I've made work about travel before and about other sort of place as a character in the work mm-hmm. and other series of paintings, but um, there was something about the ubiquitousness of... You know like travel snapshots yeah and like people on honeymoons or vacation or like the allure of that but also the commonness of it right and so you go to wherever rome and you have this like personal like amazing personal experience and um but it's something that everyone you know like it's happening millions of times a day all right. over the world um and my, my work is maybe always not to transition and talk about the show but the um My work has always dealt with maybe like moments of common experience and kind of almost like cliched experience and then something maybe potentially more personal or specific to my like take on the world. Yeah. Um, But I think that, you know, like Instagram and the abundance of certain kinds of images um, has sort of changed the way, not in a huge way, but in a small way maybe changed what I include in my paintings or what um, was sort of in the subtext of the work or something.
1: Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, like the current show, recent work, there's maybe a little more of a, or not more, but there's an attention to intimacy Mm -hmm. and the image as an intimate encounter or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's these personal spaces. And I think that is something that's been altered and violated by social media, you know, Mm -hmm. and the idea too, that now not only can you broadcast these personal moments that you're having like, isn't this great? You know, but it it's is. also people are framing it. Right. They're making it seem like it's right. this. So there's this envy or like this expectation of what visually your life or your vacations is. or your day to day is supposed to be. It's like this idealized, promoted visual existence, which right. is so different than like what really? my face when I wake up. Oh, yeah. That's no, reality. I, like, the other day
0: I took a picture of. Um <laughs> I took a picture of the skyline of Manhattan or the Williamsburg Bridge yeah. from like the end of the street where my studio used to be, and I was having this like really nostalgic moment for like the good old days of Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful photograph, and I put it on Instagram. Whatever, I mean, beautiful, it's a nice photograph, right? Um, but of course, behind me there was like you know a cement truck, and they were like working on the Domino <laughs> plant, and like the ground was shaking, right. it was So loud like the garbage can hadn't been emptied next to me so I don't know it's just a funny Yeah, <laughs> reality is always a little different but I I mean I think my work I, I like that my work plays with those tensions like almost like borrowed images familiar images kind of stock images almost and then um, kind of implied intimacy or real experience or some kind of remembered experience and um, that tension is kind of or sort of navigating that as like like the world of cliche or the world of sort of common experience and finding something slightly unexpected or Mm -hmm. unusual or specifically personal about that Um, I think it's always been in my work but maybe it comes out a little more in these new paintings somehow
1: Um, well in the context of all that other stuff right it has it leaves a different imprint right or this that the idea of even if, let's just say, as a concept, intimacy in a, in a painting, mm-hmm. you know, after those Instagram or, like, social media and the way people share things in a different way now. Right. It changes the interpretation of the work in a way, you right. know, just because of our relationship to those images. Right. So and it's, it's funny because I remember somebody put up, a, there
0: was one painting that I did with, like, um, like a landscape at the bottom and then two couples kind of, like, making out at yeah. the top. mm mm-hmm. And somebody I know posted it on Instagram, but then they used the base. They used like the there's like a kissing emoji like across the bottom of the image. I was like, that's kind of actually that's really (laughs) on point. That's sort of like exactly right, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Did anyone post like a picture of them kissing on the bottom, and then cropping it so there's the real kissing couple and the two above it?
0: Um, no, not yet. No, it'll happen. Yeah. I might, I might do it myself
1: actually. It's yeah.
0: Um, but those tensions are still like, I, I like my work to have kind of, um, sort of a hot, cold thing. So it's sort of like on one hand, even the more like overtly sexual or intimate pictures, they feel kind of heated and known and sort of experienced, but in another way they're like really detached and sort of cool mm-hmm. and distant. Um,
1: and you got a little fuzz there that makes them a little hazy. Right. So they so seem dreamlike or right. not.
0: But they're also graphic in a way,
1: too. Yeah. Like it's a funny. I, I, I think about that. Like, how do you.
0: Because I, I, my work, in a way, comes out of kind of pop tradition, mm-hmm. potentially. Maybe sort of American painting meets pop kind of thing. But, um, you know, how do you take the like Wesselman pop gesture and then turn it into something. Dreamy, or or something. You know, like yeah. I, I think about that and what the way that the surface and the touch of the paint and all that influences the way you experience the painting. That's something that I made, and um, it's all very cheesy, but uh, <laughs> I don't like but something. I think about it. I mean, it. I yeah, it's like I indulge in that. But I think well, I mean, painting as a medium, I like that about. You know, it seems like the most pointless thing to do in a way in our culture, right? But the fact that people go into their studios and have their, like, practice, and their, I hate saying practice, but, like, they have their paintings. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, you you go into your studio and you make your paintings, and I go look at your painting, and I, like, experience this world that you've made. And some of that has to do with the touch of the brush to the canvas or however you make them, Um, and also the things that you've thought about, the decisions you've made. And it's really human. It's, like, this humanist kind of, like, romantic exchange of, like, Ridley's time, Brian's yeah. time, and yeah. um and so I, I love it it feels absurd in our culture to do it, but it also seems really vital and important for that reason. It's yeah.
1: like And it's how we connect, right? Right. It's yeah. Like when there's a kid playing and building a Lego world and he's like playing it out mm-hmm. and you're listening to that and half of you is like, This is just ridiculous or, you know right. this is like nonsensical Or, but then the other half is like this is a world that's going on mm-hmm. here you know this is there's emotions tied to it and all this dedication to it and yeah. and that's a really beautiful thing you know to to it take, is take that kind of mental focus and energy into something that someone could just kick over or just you know not walk in the gallery and look at
0: and as a viewer it requires a certain degree of like empathy and mm-hmm. sort of a desire to connect with that part of like the artist's Thinking or process or object. Now it's nice. We have since we have this big space now. We've been able to hang up all the art that we have of friends of ours, and it's kind of amazing to like walk down the hall and like see the little worlds of all of your friends. Like you have access to their minds and just for a snippet. Yeah, it's 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 really beautiful in a way. It's enriching. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um,
1: that's a luxury too of being an artist you can trade work and all yeah that. no it's amazing like I just painted these walls but I'm gonna be rehanging Hangstone, yeah, re-hanging yeah got, like exactly, I mean, friends work and, yeah to my point like you've got a lot of great stuff in here
0: yeah, but it's, it's not that you look at it and think oh yeah that's a beautiful painting you look at it and you think oh yeah like Jimmy made that like right. that was his headspace for that yeah. day or whatever
1: yeah um, and I wonder what he was listening to when right, he made exactly. it right <laughs> exactly speaking of which what do you do in the studio <coughs> silence or music um, or NPR podcast
0: I used to listen to NPR mm-hmm. I had like a Diane Rehm, uh, Terry Gross sort of rotation yeah and I think like recent events have led me to give up on like political talk for a bit yeah um, I want to stay informed but I you know I have friends that have really like gone into the the hole yeah and I don't that's a dangerous place for me to go yeah um so I, I, I want to know kind of what's going on in the world, but I can't listen to pundits talk about it all day long. It's just too depressing. Um, so I've been back on music, mm-hmm. uh, just like Spotify and Pandora and um, a few podcasts. But I, I'm actually going to ask you for a list when I leave. Because I do. I like listening to people talk um, as long as it's not about Trump. Yeah. <laughs> but I listen. Did you listen to S-Town? Did you hear that one?
1: Uh, I, a little bit of it. You should listen to the whole thing. Yeah, because yeah. I've listened to uh, Serial. Oh, right. You know, yeah, yeah. that was yeah. critical. Like, everyone was listening to that. And I yeah. held off for, like, the first season, and people were like, you haven't listened to it? <laughs> I was like, I'll get around to it. But yeah, That sounds good. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's um, That was one that I kind of was listening to as I was finishing the show. Um, yeah, mostly music at this point. And I've, I've kind of tapped into, like, classical music. Playlists.
1: I thought you were going to say nothing but dirty South. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I mix it up, you know, like
0: depending on what kind of energy bump I need. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think like jazz and classical music, I know very little about either, but mm-hmm. it's really nice to have it on in the background. And yeah. Kind of like stimulates your brain and you can just let it play. You can put on like a Bach playlist and just let it go for like five hours. And I've been no dipping idea.
1: into classical lately yeah. and I've never been a big classical No, person. me either. But there's something really, I don't know. God, there's so many things I'm doing lately that are signs of an older person that I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, between classical music and going to bed, going to bed relatively early, I Uh mean, this is not a good look. And waking up at like 5 a.m. What is funny
0: to come back to Williamsburg, where I really. You know, I, f- I feel like I went from being a young person to an adult yeah. in Brooklyn, and uh, and to come back here and sort of feel like you see all these kids around, like yeah. hipster kids and young beautiful people going out at night. There are a lot more like douchebags in the too, but <laughs> um, but it's funny to like catch yourself in the mirror, like the reflection of a, yeah. of a building. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, of like, I'm, the, I'm the uncle now <laughs> or whatever. Um, It happens to all of us. It does. It does. But I don't know. Where where do old OGs go these days? Atlanta? Atlanta. Maybe Queens. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about... Holly and I talk about coming back here on a more consistent basis. Um, You know, after... We both have a few things coming up, and Athens is such a great place to work and focus. But if there's a way to be up here more often, we try to do it. But I don't know where we'd go. I think Brooklyn is... Yeah um, It's diff- just price wise It's a difficult thing to juggle It's a hard sell literally Yeah So maybe on a Jackson Heights Or seems Yeah Seems like there are a lot of artists You know I like Ridgely. Middle Village
1: Oh yeah Yeah Home of Metropolitan Oval One of the oldest soccer fields In the United States Oh uh, yeah And a great program huh. But yeah If you go on Metropolitan Way out there Middle Village is kind of Okay Somewhere. Check out I don't think anyone lives out there But you know You know It's funny There's like There's these trailblazer artists Who go to certain areas Mm-hmm And um, there's a lot of other, well, especially having a who place travel in the city. Mm -hmm. You get to see these neighborhoods and you're like, really? There's, you know, this is here? Like, you know, and it's mostly like life or New Yorkers who are like firemen or, you know, work Mm -hmm. in that community or whatever. But there's areas of just, you know, quaint little places that probably aren't too bad. Right. That are only a 10 minute drive from the hip place where you can go to your coffee shop or whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah,
0: my life really changed when I got a car in Brooklyn. I didn't, for years, I didn't have one. And then you realize that you can get around pretty easily. And
1: Yeah, and there's parking right. over
0: here. Yeah. There's an art to it. It's mm-hmm. kind of fun. I think the real dilemma for me is, like, how do you, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm really invested and excited about 106 Green. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's, I have, it's, I mentioned Rushmore earlier, but I have that kind of, like, Max Fisher impulse in my life. Like, I want to, like, start a club for yeah, everything yeah. I'm interested in. And then... So I, I have to fight that a little bit because I get myself involved in things. And then I'm like, you know, a month in, I'm like, oh, like I'd rather be in my studio painting. Right. But um, but the real question is, like, do you do I invest energy in like starting a residency in Athens or like, you know, trying to contribute to the art community in Atlanta, which is actually kind of taken off in a way. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. There are a lot of really good young artists there. And um, there's some good curators there at the museums. Like, could I contribute in some small way to that? Or should I spend my time coming back to New York and just, like, satisfying my need to be around my old friends and, like, the scene? Yeah, bottom.
1: I tend to feel like those things that you do to where you're like, well, should I be spending my time in a better way or more productive? Or mm-hmm. It ends up cycling back and feeding mm-hmm. you. You right. know what I mean? And there's, like, certain things that I do outside of making art or whatever, and then I'll meet people who are art-related in that outside activity. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, this is... You know what I mean? Like... yeah. I tend to not, these days for some reason, I tend to not close the door on much stuff because I feel like it'll come back to me in right. some way. The I mean, energy And One of six will. screen
0: has been that way. It was really like, um, you know, we just wanted to help. Initially, it was sort of a different idea. Like we wanted to create group shows that contextualize kind of like well-known, established artists with emerging artists. Yeah. Put them all in the same room. And then when we started doing solo shows, it was really about like giving people opportunities that, deserve them yeah um and i still feel like if we had two gallery spaces and time to do it i feel like we we could like fill out like two really good gallery programs of people that don't have representation or don't have shows um a lot of work it is a lot of work but it's been um we've kind of like hit the right stride now because the amount of work we put in um it benefits the people do the shows and then we in turn there is a lot of like benefit yeah Get to contribute and we meet people and it's just a nice like community around that um so it's it's definitely come back 100 percent or more
1: it's giving you that energy yeah no doubt
0: no doubt and it's like it's like we were talking about earlier it's nice to just to go into an artist studio and see what kind of world they're making and then help them like put it out yeah um even if it's just a
1: tiny in a tiny way but yeah um that's great well tell people about your show up now and then 106 green in detail just so okay if they're interested um you mean about the work or about the show that well you can talk about well we talk about the work a little
0: bit but yeah just yeah. tell them about oh, so, you know um, where it is and how yes yeah, so and how long it's up and, so the show's up for another two weeks um it's up until the 18th i mm-hmm. think um and it's and the, with marinaro gallery mm-hmm. on grand street which Used to be Foyer Messler, right? The second floor, right? Second floor space. Yeah. So I, um, last year, I decided to show with Foyer Messler, mm-hmm. and Lauren uh, Marinaro was really the um, sort of driving force of that decision yeah. and um, my relationship with the gallery. <laughs> um, and so when at the end of the year, I, Joel and Zach decided to do other things, and Lauren wanted to keep going and she was the partner and had been Zach's director for like a decade yeah and um, she was a partner in foyer Messler and so I, I was I was excited to work with her and she's really um, she's got a lot of energy and uh, I like her eye and so this is her third show um, it's just good to be a part of something that's like starting and yeah not that she's starting but there's a kind of a, a new energy there yeah um, and so that that, which they did a show with um, Johannes von der Beek, um, who's a really great guy mm-hmm. and good artist, and um, Kitiana Strobert. Um, I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Sounds official. The third show. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, and then 106 Green is in Greenpoint. On Green? The, yeah, on Green 106 Street. 106 it's 106. actually a 104 Green Street now. Oh, was, uh, it started. It? <laughs> yeah, it was one of six green and then the landlord reconfigured the building. Then you're like, I got a gallery here named up. <laughs> right. So, but now people are like, hey, it's cool. You named it one of six. Um, so we do shows maybe, I think this fall we're going to do three shows. So we do like two or three shows a season mm-hmm. and then a summer show. Usually we're not doing one this summer and, um, mostly people who haven't shown before. Give, we've been doing solo projects with people in New York that haven't shown before. Yeah. Um, Or maybe they've just shown a little bit. Um, And we've had some, you know, like, we've done some really good shows. And like I said, the artists, I I think that's one thing about living in New York. We were talking about the difference between Athens and New York. I think you, when you live here, you realize, like, the vast talent at all levels of the art world. And so you may know, personally, you may know somebody that's in the Whitney Biennial. And you may also know somebody that's never had a show before. But you see them after being here a long time, you see them as equals.
1: And, and you feel um,
0: pretty good about both of the
1: work, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. you...
0: There, there are people who've never shown before that you respect just as much or more than artists who are, like, showing consistently. Yeah. And so that that part of One of Six Screen has been really great to, like, give people shows that should have them. Right. Um, and for whatever reason, they haven't yet had the opportunity. So, um... So yeah, yeah so we have a, our next show is going to be in mid August. We just closed one yesterday. Um, Amanda Baldwin, who was at VCU when I was mm-hmm. there, as a visiting teacher, and um, and then the, sh- the Courtney Andrews is going to be our show in August and September. She does performance and video. We're going to show a big video piece, and um, so it's cool. I mean, our overhead. I think one thing that's been great about it is our overhead is so low, essentially nothing, because Mitchell had the space mm-hmm. and was it was just sitting there that we can do shows that you know, a gallery in Chelsea or Lower East Side or even in Williamsburg that's paying higher rent can't do. So, um, it's freedom. Yeah, no, it's great. We can, we can kind of play around and people can do projects they wouldn't normally show or do. Um, so yeah, it's been really good. And you know, my friend Mitchell is, he's a great artist and is really like the driving force of that operation, especially now that I'm in Athens or Holly and I are in Athens. So it's, um, He's sort of the the heart and soul of the place. Yeah. But and John Lutz, who is the director, is uh, he was at Sardine, mm-hmm. and he's he's been curating shows for a long time. And he's really he was a really good curator and was working with um, someone at Sardine, and then uh, left to kind of do some solo projects, and then decided that he wanted to help us out. So, um, yeah, he does some curating and a lot of the communication with people that write us yeah which is a lot of work, yeah. so it's nice that he he he's more interested in curating and being a dealer than Holly and Mitchell and I so yeah. it's been a nice addition
1: to the team. It's a good balance,
0: yeah absolutely nice um
1: Great. yeah, well, that was my stomach before <laughs> <I think. laughs> no, I
0: like i'm gonna go get a hamburger or something, get, you know? like get a proper snack, yeah, yeah exactly,
1: cool, well, thanks for uh Thanks for coming over. Oh man, it was a great. Thank you day.
0: For, uh, yeah, thanks for the conversation. To catch up. Yeah, I mean, and uh, been... and
1: everyone can see your stuff on your website too, right? My website is not the best, or the but gallery. the Marinero
0: website, yeah, Marinero. has the new work. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and I'm doing a show in Mexico City. I'm going to do some small paintings in the fall. Nice, Are you I'm going? Pretty psyched about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm just starting that. It's nice to have like uh, something to work on right after a show. Right. Don't so like sink into postpartum, the bourbon or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, no, get back to it. Nice. Uh, yeah. But cool. yeah, thanks so. a lot. I'm a huge admirer of your work. It's thanks, great we uh, could talk. Thanks for
1: coming over. Yeah. Cool. Sound and Vision is recorded and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. The introduction and introduction music is by Michael Lovett, who records as the musical act Nazca Lines. All other music was written and performed by myself. You can find images and information about the podcast at soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find more about me and my artwork at paintchanger.com. Thanks for listening.